This evening is Wednesday. It's August 18th, 2010. Our message is called Bail Bondsman. And I hope to goodness that you're not as familiar with that as I am. <laughs> no amens back there, Adam. <laughs> okay, this is, uh, of course, somewhat humorous. But at the same time, I, I'm hoping, based on what you saw in worship, based on the power of the Holy Ghost that you can feel in this room, and the kind of prophecies, the kind of words that are coming forth, I think you can all tell that Jesus is trying to tune us up for something. The messages are not coming out of our imagination anymore that this worship could be canned and put in a jar and sold on a shelf. This is the power of the Holy Ghost in the room, and He is trying to get a message to us. And one of the things that came to me today is, Is Jesus your closest friend? an unrivaled Lord, or is he merely your bail bondsman? Do you only repent when you're caught? Do you only pray when you're repentant? Do you only read the word when you're in trouble? Do you only want counsel if you failed? Do you only want his comfort when things are not going your way? Do you only want his guidance when you have no other options? Any person which will act as a surety and pledge money or property as bail for the appearance of a criminal before a judge is a bail bondsman. A bail bondsman is pretty important if you're in jail. But the moment you're out of jail, it becomes less important every day. How present is Jesus in your daily thoughts, in your daily activities? This is a really important question. Does Jesus only become important to you during the moment of the day that there is a trial? Does he only become important to you in the moment of the week that there's a religious activity? Or daily, hourly, is he on your mind? Have you ever seen young people fall in love? <laughs> I know you have. Tell on Jennifer for a minute since she's not in here. Her father had a strict rule that she would be off of the phone at a certain time. I don't remember what the time was other than we regularly abused it if we could. They had a parquet floor in the section of their house that led from his bedroom to hers. And I remember that she'd put down the phone and cover it with the pillow when she heard the footsteps coming by her door. We were so in love at 15 years old that we began speaking one evening and did not stop until son came up the next day and he came in to wake her up. Why is that? Why can you not get enough attention from the one that you love? And if you had to send them off in the Navy or something, and you couldn't get to them, the best you could do is hang out with their family or others who had been with them and talk about them and see pictures of them. You can be so enthralled and so much in love with something, something be such a part of your life that if you can't get to them, you want to be around others who have. Just bring me some word from my love. This is why we run to church and not away from it. This is exactly what the fellowship of believers is for. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31 says this. Tell me when you're there. I'd ever heard anything like it. I went, oh my God, 
that does sound just like tongues. I found myself going to stand next to people in line, and I felt the presence of Jesus with me at the most ridiculous of places, Disney World, you know, riding the little rides, doing goofy things. When you're in relationship with someone, when their presence is inside of you, when your thoughts are commingled with their thoughts, everywhere you go, they're a part of you. I thought we would turn our thoughts towards pastors for a little while, because for whatever reason, it's easier when we think about this in terms of pastors. So I'm going to make some assumptions. If you grossly disagree with me, you can say so. But I imagine that this would be the kind of thing we could have a consensus of among most people. Most people would feel a pastor should have a singleness of purpose. That they should want to glorify God through the sanctification and salvation of sinners. I mean, this is what a pastor does. He sees people get saved and he sees them get sanctified. That's what a pastor should do. You might feel that a pastor ought to study. He might ought to preach. He might ought to perform all of his ministerial duties, not for himself, not for a salary, not to increase his popularity, but to glorify God. I mean, this is what pastors should do. Selfless servants who are working to glorify God, everybody should agree that's what a pastor should do. If a pastor doesn't do these things, or does them for his own glory and not God's, you might immediately recognize the problem and go, but he's a pastor. Every time one sins and it gets in a newspaper, people say that. But he's a pastor. You know to look for a pastor who is as serious out of the pulpit as he is in the pulpit about Jesus. Because you instinctively know that if he's selfish Monday through Saturday, no matter how well he preaches on Sunday, he is still selfish. You know these things. You probably believe that a pastor who preached, prayed, visited, and performed all of his ministry duties, mainly for the purpose of financial support or for honoring himself, is wicked and deserves the judgment that he gets for being such a poor example. You hear people all of the time naming men of God that fell in the 80s. And it's never with remorse for them personally. Because they deserve it. If these are your views on the subject of a pastor, I want you to know I agree with them. hope that doesn't surprise you. But it's interesting to know that while we're dealing with the subject of a third party, a pastor, it's easy to come to a right judgment. Where in the Bible does it say any less is expected of you in any one of those areas? That your life should be about something less than the sanctification and salvation of sinners. That you should be any less serious six days of the week than you are on the seventh. Where does the Bible say that your life can be about your glory? Where does the Bible say you are any different than all of the things that you easily say a pastor must do? It is an insidious lie to think that you are viewed any differently in God's eyes than a pastor. One of the things that has happened to the American church is that there is a holy man on a holy day in holy clothes for a holy fee. You sit, you pay your tithes. Some pay their tithes. You appease your conscience and trust some other man of God to do God's work. Why? Because he's a man of God. sermon that Charles Finney preached called Devotion. When Charles Finney had preached until his voice did not work very well anymore, he was an eloquent man. He said physically he was worn out and his apparatus of speech no longer functioned as the Lord designed it. So he endeavored to put into print the things that God had put into his heart and thus reach more in his infirmity than he did in all of his holiness. I wonder why he sparked revival everywhere. Men of God today, at least supposed men of God, are all willing to allow you to lift them up at the expense of you doing nothing and them doing everything. A healthy church. 
the subject of bail bondsman versus friend and unrivaled Lord. Let's look at how the Lord examines us. Turn with me to Proverbs 11. Boy, it got quiet, there. didn't it? Thank you, girl. There. there. I'm going to come back there and check at him.
spiritual lives on Wednesdays and Sundays. If you're a really good boy or girl, maybe a Bible study too. We must drive out of our thoughts such thinking. We can get so fouled up in our thinking about what it means to be in relationship with God that we're convinced reading the Bible, praying, attending church meetings is a relationship with God. All of those things can be components of a relationship, but they are not a relationship. We think we appease God by religious activities. This would be like a woman trying to appease her husband with a smile while the entire time gazing with desire for some man. It doesn't work that way. He wants all of us. I was in a conversation that was very unusual about tithe. Very unusual for this reason. The person was not fighting to give less money. They were fighting with the concept that saying simply giving God a tenth is way too easy. He owns all of your life. He wants all of you. But we're always looking for what we can do to just check something off a box and time do I have to spend with you today, Lynette? <laughs> How much time do I have to spend with you today before you'll be happy? Is that a relationship? How about this one? Did you do your devotion today? You mean there's a starting and ending period to that? You start at 8.15 devoted to God, and at 8.30 you're no longer devoted? Isn't this how we think? Can I just do a devotion? No, no. You must be devoted. We think that in the evangelical world, focusing on fundamentals of the faith, basic truths, that by acquiring this right knowledge and right doctrine that we know him, I can know all of the right things about Bo Jackson and never met the man. This happens all of the time. I wonder how many people know the fellowship of his sufferings. I wonder how many people know what it is to feel him comforting you in the lowest moments of your life and feel him standing beside you, warning you not to take pride in the highest moments in your life. You can sit in church all of your life wanting to do the next right thing and never know his righteousness. Say, but wait a minute, I believe he was raised from the dead, yes, but is he a daily part of your life? It's not illegal to be a Christian in China. You can be a Christian in the three-self church. The government even provided it as a compromise. But what is illegal in China is to be a Christian wherein religious activities, quote-unquote, affect your daily life. Do you understand that? Are you hearing that? The devil is just fine with you going to church. The devil is just fine with you reading your Bible. He's just fine with you praying occasionally. He is not fine with your relationship with Jesus infecting every moment of your day. But when you fell in love with somebody for the first time, weren't your thoughts dominated every moment of the day? Does Jesus really deserve less? If there's no room for him in your daily thoughts, maybe we've taken All of it is too self-focused. When we start asking the question when we wake up, what do you want me to do this day? When we're driving to and from our job, we begin praying, Lord, what would you like to see happen here today? I want to be pleasing with you. This is beginning to sound more like a relationship. I never understood. I started in Christianity with a prayer journal. And a very structured, I was the kind of guy, it's hard to tell now, that worked out all of the time. And so I took that same rigid discipline and I applied it to my relationship with Jesus. And at some point, I felt as if he was saying, throw it away. And I couldn't understand why I worked so hard at it. He didn't want a relationship with me where I punched in and punched out. He didn't want me to fall into the trap of thinking religious things were a relationship. 
there is a popular thought, a popular thought that is dead wrong. Well, if I want to spend time with him, I need to go isolate myself on a mountain. If you want to spend time with him, you need to be planted in the organization that he put you in, receiving from his body, which is all around you, not secluded from it somewhere else. The reason that we think like this is because we have not yet learned to be comfortable in our own skin. Show pride? Because 
we want people to think highly of us. I can't let them know what's really going on. Why? Because I want them to think highly of me. What does the Bible say pride equals? Disgrace. We don't realize that when we do this, we are causing disgrace. What does humility equal? Wisdom. When you have no resistance to what God would want to do, whether it's speak or be quiet, whether it's run or sit, when you have a lack of resistance to God because you have a proper view of Him and you, that is wisdom. What a message to drive in our heart. Instead of maybe the denominational stamp or the evangelical stamp or the non-denominational stamp that simply says, good to go, that we carry around and say, I was saved. I whispered to somebody in this church not 20 minutes ago. Baby, I was saved, I am being saved, and I will have to be saved again tomorrow. He's the God of salvation in my life yesterday, today, and forever. I've been saved many, many, many times and will have to be saved again. Well, you know, Eric, theologically, that's not the case. Practically, if it were not for His grace in my life every day, I would surely bust hell wide open. The sooner we begin to recognize that pride is the problem. I used to hate to pray with Brad Lively. I loved him, and I hated to pray with him, and I admired him, and I hated it, and, and so we, I'm a glutton for punishment, and we hung out all of the time. And the thing that killed me the most praying with this man is he was the most humble person I knew, and yet at some point while we're praying, with tears streaming down his face and arms up before God, he'd say, Lord, I'm so full of pride, carve it out of my life. And I'm thinking, oh, Jesus, if he's full of pride, there's whatever little greasy spots left in me, Lord. But he found out something. Pride brings disgrace, and he didn't want any part of it in his life. I want to share with you some things that Charles Finney said not much better reason than I just don't think I don't think people think like this enough anymore. You know, it's said that the average guy today has a vocabulary of about 2,000 words. All I can say is it seems that in 1839 they possessed a greater vocabulary than that. Sure enough, for sure. Laughing out loud. Charles Finney speaks of the word devotion. You need to understand in his day, when he said devotion, he means relationship. So every time you hear the word devotion, you can think relationship. If you hear the word religion, today we say that dude's religious. That's not a compliment in our circles. In his it was. There were no Buddhists running around the country. There were no Muslims in great numbers running around the country. And to say a man was religious meant that he was authentically Christian. Today religious means lots of things. I want you to hear this. It's rather lengthy, and I don't apologize. <laughs> it is the state of mind, this is speaking about a relationship or devotion, it is the state of mind or of the heart. It is that state of the will in which everything, our whole life and being and possessions are a continual offering to God, i.e. are continually devoted to God. True devotion, so far from consisting in any individual act or feelings, must of necessity be the supreme devotion of the will, extending to all we have, all we are, at all times, in all places, through all employments, through all thoughts, and through all feelings. Are you beginning to get a picture there? Every area of your life, all of the time. He says, bear in mind that no particular acts or fervor, I love this one, or gushings of emotion, or resolutions, or purposes of amendment, or future obedience are devotion. None of those things consist of devotion. Crying a little bit at an altar does not mean you're in relationship with the Lord. It means that you feel bad that you're not. But devotion or relationship is that state of the will 
in which the mind is swallowed up in God as the object of supreme affection, in which we not only live and move in God, but for God. In other words, devotion is that state of mind in which the attention is diverted from self and self-seeking and is directed to God. The thoughts and purposes and desires and affections and emotions all hanging upon and devoted to Him. Let me ask you something. Maybe not with exactly those words. But if I asked you what makes you a Christian, and we had not been preaching on this subject, does it look something like that? What makes me a Christian is I am so in love with Him that He permeates my day. He permeates my life. I can be cutting the grass, cleaning the toilets, or preaching behind a pulpit, and I feel Him with me. And when I don't feel Him with me, I trust that He's there. Would that be the answer? Or do you truthfully feel more godly doing some things than other things? We need to be careful that that's not simply religious works. See, he's after our relationship. I've come to the conclusion after lots of counseling in my house, out of my house, in the church, out of the church, that people genuinely want to do what is right, but they are not in relationship with God. They've come to acknowledgments. They know that he is who he says he is and that he's done great things for them, but he is not a part of their daily thoughts. And this is evidenced by the fact that the word does not occur to them until after they have sinned. See, when you're in relationship with somebody, the last thing they said to you is still on your mind. Who remembers Raja Israel? Raja Israel had been a Christian many, many years before he came here. Actually, Anna Israel, his son, generation number five, wife Shama was here. First time in over 35 years of marriage, she reached over and kissed him on the cheek in public. This is simply not done in Indian conservative society. Later, two days later, while driving in a car, Raja began to tell me that his wife had never done this before. And although the man is thoroughly brown, he seemed to be pinkish red at the moment. spot still tingles on my cheek. This is not a man who uses words cheaply. He meant exactly what he said. The thing that I like most about Raja Israel is that he feels the same way about Jesus. And his eyes well with tears when you get near any of the scriptures that God has used to touch his heart. These are the marks of relationships. someone that you value, the more merciful you are when they make a mistake, because you have a great deal invested in that relationship. You may no longer be able to picture what your life would be like without that person. When you first enter a relationship, somebody burns the beans and you're out of there. Not much is invested. When you have been in relationship with somebody more years than you were ever out of it, you don't know how to live without them. How do you describe your relationship with Jesus? Stronger now that you've been in relationship with him many years? Or weaker than those first hours you were born again? What a great question, isn't it? Colossians 3. Here comes the 15th verse. 
shalom of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body you were called to shalom, peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach, admonish, and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Before I read the rest of these things, whatever you do, in word and deed, do it all for His glory. This means that if you are sharpening pencils, you are sharpening them for the glory of God. This does away with the idea of a secular job and a spiritual job. It does away with the idea of working for a ministry and also outside of the ministry. Everything that you do is for Jesus. If you work at Starbucks, you'd be the best Starbucks employee that they have. This is seriously a relationship, not a punch card. I've made jokes for many years about full-time ministry. Is there any other kind? I've been called the full-time ministry. Well, what was he called to? 20% ministry? And yet in my own life, I resent when I have to go to a secular employer. Why? Because the glory of God covers the earth and I have failed to see it. Because although the glory of God is in the portican as well as in the pinnacle of the temple, the knowledge of the glory of God has escaped me. fallen into a trap. When we're doing religious things, we're working for God. When we're doing other things, it's somehow fleshly, carnal, or not working for God. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, how fleshly and carnal is that? Whether you eat or drink, do it all for the Lord. This means that a lost man can sit in a religious service and be damned, and there be no credit to him before God. It also means that a Christian can watch a boxing match and the glory of God be in it. We've fallen into the habit of thinking that when we are in worship, it is spiritual. But when we're not in worship, it's somehow not spiritual. We even say stupid things and I'm the leader. Oh, I feel God here. Well, what was he 20 minutes ago? The scripture says he's everywhere. But this helps us compartmentalize and segment and feel better that we have checked off the box. That is not a relationship. A relationship is waking up, thinking about Him, talking to Him, driving in the car, doing it. Whether you are a bug inspector killing roaches or a roofer nailing in the last shingle, it is for Jesus. So, but I don't see that it's for Jesus. He doesn't require you to. That's what makes Him Lord.
God brought me back to that scripture in different employers. And I could look at those sometimes and say, I wasn't happy at that employer. I wasn't happy at that employer. I wasn't happy at that employer. Maybe something's wrong with me and not the employer. Maybe the Lord is trying to teach me how to be in relationship with him regardless of the circumstance. Wow. Are Jennifer I and I any less married if we're in difficulty? Are we in any less love if our relationship is right if we're in difficulty? See, our relationship with the Lord cannot rise and fall on the tides of our personal preferences. They can't. Real relationship with Jesus is not reading the Bible. It's not attending meetings. It's not prayer times. They may be components or events within a relationship, but they should never be mistaken for the relationship itself. Jesus wants all of your activity, will, finances, obedience, feelings, to revolve around him and his lordship at all times, in all places, and through all employments. We become connected to him as the very instruments of his body. Listen to Romans 6.13. Do not turn there. I will not lie to you. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. This means if you work at Walmart, Jesus' hands and feet are now at Walmart. There are certain tests you could have to do in the medical field that are horrific beyond description. It's hard to believe they do this stuff to human bodies. You can let your mind race with that one. However bad your job is, somebody's got a worse one. I was in Beit Shin in Israel. This is the place Saul was nailed to a wall and his son. And David killed a man for rejoicing in their death. And I was walking down the center of the road that they called a cardo. And I saw the most unusual structure. It was a U-shape about the size of this stage. Couldn't figure out what it was. And the guy saw me looking at it. And he said, I'll give you a bottle of water if you know what that is. I got down on my knees. Put my hands on it. Put my head in a hole. Laid on the ground. Looked at it every possible way that I could possibly look at it. It's a U-shape, just like this, right out in the center of Main Street in Beijing. Except around this edge. About every four inches is a hole about that big. And then I looked on the very ends, and I started to snap too with fear. I noticed the structure was hollow. I couldn't figure this out because these holes were so close. And I said, I, I, I give up. It was a public restroom. And in ancient times, people were not as big as we are. No McDonald's. I said, but wait, how's this work, you know? No way to get this stuff out of here. I said, you see that little opening back there? It's about this big. The slave's job was to crawl through that wood board and push everything that fell through these holes out the other side. That was somebody's job. You know what Paul wrote to him? Slaves, obey your masters and everything. Serve them as you were serving the Lord. Now let me ask you, what in your life has come close to that? If you're in relationship with somebody, anymore, but it's worth hearing. 
emotional state of mind. They do not, after all, seem to realize that every act devoted to God is as acceptable as prayer and praise. Did you hear that? When you are in relationship with God, every act that you do out of that relationship is just as acceptable as your prayer and your praise. That means sitting there eating Kentucky Fried Chicken with a smile on your face, thankful for, for what God has done in your life, is just as acceptable as repenting at this altar. If by, nece nece if by necessary duties they are kept from spending much time in their closets, i.e. prayer closets, and going a great deal to meetings, Satan takes advantage of their ignorance and brings them into bondage. He endeavors to persuade them that they are neglecting their duties to God and attending to other things. Satan rushes in when you don't think you've prayed enough, when you don't think you've read the word enough, because he would like to reduce your relationship with our king to religious duties. Now you who are devoted to God should understand that if the providence of God can find you at home to nurse the sick, or to prevent you from observing those hours of secret prayer which you are wont to observe, you ought not be brought into bondage on account if you are conscious of these other duties are being perform performed for God. In other words, it is just as much a service to God to change somebody's flat tire, or to visit a shut-in, or to neglect going to church altogether because you have to feed your family. If you can honestly say you are in a perfect relationship with him. The reason church exists is to help you get into this position. But it's a curious thing. When people think they further their relationship by running from him. I've never seen that work. I'm going to be honest with you right now. I've been in ministry a while. I have never seen somebody's relationship improve as they put distance between them and church. Never. Reparation. 
in entire consecration to God, but attempt to trade with them the very next day in their workplace, and you will find them supremely selfish. They are not devoted to God. They are devoted to their own interest, and they are ready to take advantage of even their brethren to benefit themselves. Relationship is not an emotion. It involves actions. It is not enough to cry and to feel sorry. It is not enough to make an emotional pledge. When you're in relationship with somebody, your love shows up in your deeds. The third one will bring some balance to that idea. Many mistake the consecration and devotion of the imagination for that of the heart. They can write poems or sermons or religious articles for the paper. They can talk and pray and preach and exercise any degree of zeal in the cause of religion and yet meet them on the ground where the deep foundations of their hearts are developed and you will find them supremely selfish. Relationship is not only actions. It is also the devotions of your heart. Relationship with Jesus is neither emotions without actions nor is it actions without any emotion. It's not just road obedience. The loyalty and love that you express to him and that he expresses to you is not without feeling. These are areas that we fall into that are traps. When we get these areas right, we can confidently say what Paul said in Romans 14, 7 through 8. I'll read it to you. For none of us lives to himself alone. And none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Quite an amazing statement. It almost sounds as if the man was not particularly invested in whether he lived or died. He was just invested in being wherever and doing whatever the Lord wanted him to. And I hear that said all of the time. I see that lived very rarely. A real relationship will take the most constant cares and the most pressing hardships and make them the means of the deepest and most constant communion with Jesus. The more constant and pressing our circumstances are, the more incessant our communion with Him. Your relationship with Him will take the mundane and give it meaning because you share it. met that significant other, that one you just loved. You didn't care whether you were licking stamps. You just wanted to be in the same room with them. Come on, guys. You went out and picked out flowers and colors and invitations. Come on, ladies. You sat and pretended to be interested in poker and UFC and whatever else. Because you just wanted to be in the same room with them because you loved them. Why does our relationship with Jesus vacillate based on our circumstances and surroundings? Favorite quote of Leonard Ravenhill. Thank 
you do that for your research today? He found it to make sure it was actually in Arabia, and it is. Are the things you were living for worth Christ dying? Empty us of pride, that we might make room for you. 